This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. I'm so excited about this new year, so excited about what God is doing, and we're going to go through the next few weeks talking about the direction that God has for us as individuals and as a church family, and I thought, what better way to kick it off than to talk about prayer. So if you're looking for a title to write down this morning, you can write down prayer, or you can follow along on Version. If you want to look at the notes on there, in case you weren't aware that we have that available, just go on to uh, the Bible app and look for a live event in your area, and we should pop up and you can follow along and make notes as well for yourself, and then email those things uh, to yourself later in a PDF format. So it's a really nice thing to use there. But we're going to talk about prayer. I want to ask you this question. Do you have a relationship with God? Now, of course, all of us will go, well, yeah, I have a relationship with God. I'm in church. Hello. You know, and how many times, though, do we get asked questions like that? Or do we have conversations like that? Or in church, do we say things like that, that there's really no weight to us saying it because we know the answer to it. We know how we're supposed to answer. We know what we're supposed to say. And oftentimes, I think in church, when it comes to us having a certain culture in church, that we can get used to or conditioned to certain words or certain phrases or certain things. And when I ask the question, do you have a personal relationship with God, I think that the familiarity of the term gets thrown around so much that we lose the weight of what it really means to have a relationship with God. Because a personal relationship with God means that you treat him or you interact with him like a person. It is a personal relationship with God. Just think about it like this. If we say we have personal relationship with God, then who else do I have personal relationship with? Well, I have personal relationship with my spouse, with my friends, with my coworkers, etc., etc. We could all go down the list of who we have personal relationship with. Does our personal relationship, what we define as personal relationship, does it look the same or does it look different in the context with God as it does with other people? Because if we treat God like we actually believe He exists, if we treat God like we believe He is actually present and actually cares for us, then I think that our relationship, our personal relationship, should have more weight and more bearing on our lives than just talking to Him once in the morning and maybe once in the evening and talking to Him before we eat our food. Wouldn't you agree? But I think oftentimes that we define relationship as something that we're supposed to say in church, but if we were to compare it to other relationships in our lives, it would look very different. And if we say we have personal relationship with God, then we should have personal relationship with God. Wouldn't you agree? Because if my relationship with my spouse was based on something like this, honey, Thank you for waking me up this day. So glad that you woke me up today. Glad you set my alarm. Thank you for remembering to do that. I appreciate that. Uh, It's good to see you. I hope that we have a good day. And she goes, okay, yeah, me too. And then I go about it, and I'm going to eat breakfast. And I said, you know, thank you for this food. I appreciate this food. Okay. Then lunchtime, I say, thanks for the food again. She's like, okay, sure. And then I tell her, thanks again for the food I'm going to eat at supper time, and then before we go to bed, oh yeah, by the way, 
Um, I'm laying my head down to sleep um, and, you know, something with my soul to keep and something about when I wake and, you know, I just want to make sure that we're good. Everything's good. I have a few things I want to talk to you about. Uh, I'm concerned about this and this and this and I hope you can work this out for me and you can fix these problems for me. Good night. I love you. If that was the basis of my relationship, I wouldn't have a very strong marriage. I wouldn't have a very strong relationship. And oftentimes I think that in church, when we think relationship with God, we just think coming to church or we just think doing what I just said, having those moments of prayer. But relationship is a continual flow of interaction and exchange throughout the day. Amen? It is not a one-time done, I'm, I checked that off my list, done my God time for the day, because I don't do that with any other relationship I have. I don't say, oh, spent time with the wife today, she should be good for at least a week. <laughs> spent time with the kids today, they should be good for at least a month. I don't do that with any other relationship that I have, but yet we use the terminology personal relationship with God. Do you have a personal relationship with God? And we would say yes, but does it look like other personal relationships we would say that we have? I would like to challenge you with that thought today because a personal relationship with God should bear more weight and should mean more than just our occasional prayers. And there's nothing wrong with repeating the same prayers. If you grew up in a tradition where you said certain memorized prayers, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But as long as that's not the basis or the, the, where it stops with your relationship with God, because our relationship with God should be much more than just memorized prayers, right? Amen. That's right, Pastor. Amen. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching. There's nothing wrong with those things. I'm not, I'm not knocking those, those practices by no means. So if you're teaching your children certain prayers or you grew up uh, praying certain prayers, there's nothing wrong with reciting or repeating those things. But oftentimes when things become familiar, we just do them to do them. And I know that even in my personal relationships that I have with people in whom I can see and interact with, that when I start doing things for and with people just because I do them, I'm losing the depth and the true meaning of the relationship. Right? And it's the same thing with God. If I'm supposed to be a person of prayer and he wants me to pray as a way to interact with him and engage him, then it needs to be something that is done continually just as I would any other relationship because God cares about the smallest portions of your life that you think that he doesn't have anything to do with. God cares about the little things in your life. And you want to know how I know? Because the Bible says he cares. Because the Bible says he knows the number of hair that you have on your head. Why would, why would the scripture give us that detail about God? Because he wants us to know that he cares about everything in our lives. The Bible says in Matthew 6 and verse 31, talking about how the, that God clothes the lilies of the field, which are here today and then they're gone tomorrow. Or how God takes care of the birds. And he says, how much more does he care about you? He said, you have little faith. How much more important because of the fact that you were created for this personal relationship, that you were created for fellowship with God, that you were created for worship of God. And that means that that comes with the weight of the personal relationship. Let's look at the scripture here, Matthew chapter 21, and let's go to verse 12. Matthew 21 and 12. As you're turning there, remember this is the story after Jesus has already entered into Jerusalem 
And there were people with, with, all, with, with palm branches, and they were worshiping him. He came in riding on a colt, and they're saying, Hosanna, and they're worshiping him, laying those things down. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here's Jesus, and he passes by the temple, or he passes by the house of worship. He passes by the place and where, at that time, God dwelled in the temple. And then here's what happened. Matthew 21 and verse 12. Jesus went into the temple of God, and he drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Verse 13, and he said to these people, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Here's Jesus, and he's seeing what's going on in the temple, okay? Jesus passing by, and he says, nope, this is not right. These things don't need to be here. They have misunderstood the purpose of the temple. The purpose of the temple is to be a place of prayer, and you've misused it. You've made it a den of thieves. So let's fast forward here to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's look at verse 16. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, Paul says this to the church at Corinth. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you? Let's put those two scriptures together here. What did Jesus say? He said that don't you know that this temple, that this is where God dwells, that this is supposed to be a house consecrated to prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves? And then here we see after God no longer dwells in temples made by hands, but now he dwells in the hearts of men and women who put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And we see that Paul is now saying, don't you know that God doesn't just dwell in a building, but he actually dwells in the hearts of people? So don't you know you're the temple of God if the Spirit of God is living on the inside of you? So here we see the the importance of being a house of prayer because it's not just designated for these four walls here in this church building. Amen? Somebody. This is something that God has called you and I to be because if the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of us, then we are the temple of God. He lives in my heart. He lives in my life. We say things like that, but do we really express the weight of those things? Because if Jesus were to come into our temple, what tables would he overturn? What tables would Christ overturn in our temple, in our lives, that have been uh, drawn away and distracted from the purpose of being a house of prayer, a house of fellowship, a house of communion with God? There are things that would want to take up residence in our lives, in our temple, that would want to pull us away from that relationship when He reminds us of the purpose And he goes through it with great fervor and with great passion and with great anger. Jesus came in and and, and drove out the things that didn't need to be there. Jesus, drive out in me the things that don't need to be there so that my life can be a house of prayer, a house of fellowship and communion between me and a holy God. Amen? Amen? You see, I understand the weight of personal relationship when I stop looking at it as just something that I do and I check off a list, because that's not personal at all. When I understand the weight of being a house of prayer, we understand that prayer is so much more than us just asking God to do things for us during crisis, because we see that He cares for every area of our lives. That He cares for all of the little minute details that we may think God is not very interested in. But folks, let me challenge you today and say He is. He is interested in your life. 
A lot of people only go to God in prayer during the middle of crisis. When things finally get bad enough, well, I guess I haven't tried prayer yet. Let's see if that one works. And we pray, and we even use the term pray, almost as if it were wishful thinking. Or as it was just a hope, something that we kind of got our fingers crossed, hoping this works out. We say things like, you know, man, I pray we're able to take that vacation this year. What does that even mean? (laughs) Are you actually praying and asking God that you'll be able to take that vacation? Or does that really mean you're wishing? I think oftentimes we use the word prayer and wish interchangeably, and we should stop doing so. I also think that we should stop throwing around the fact that we tell people we will pray for them when we just say it so they'll leave us alone. Someone tells us about all their issues. Oh, I'll I'll be praying for you. Man, that person is really messed up. People do that kind of stuff all the time. They're quick to judge and not quick to have mercy and pray. And one of the best practices that you can get into is that if you tell someone that you are going to pray for them, you better pray for them because you are only as good as your word, right? You need to be faithful, and your word needs to be good. So if you tell someone that you will pray for them, I would encourage you, instead of letting the busyness of life catch up with you, stop right then and pray for them. I remember a guy that was in the church in uh, Oklahoma where I was a youth pastor at. His name was Denny, and Denny was just a great guy. He was an older guy, an elder in the church, and he was just always had a smile on, just a guy full of love, and you could just see Jesus just all over him. I mean, just the love of God just, just resonated out of this guy. And every time I remember, uh, Denny would go, hey, hey, Pastor Derek, how are you doing today? And I would say, man, I'm really tired and I'm just not feeling real good. Well, let's pray for that right now. And he'd just grab your hand and just pray for you right there. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and it was really awkward and uncomfortable sometimes, but then you just got used to it. If you, if you want to tell Denny how things are really going, you better expect he's going to pray for you. <laughs> but I thank God for people like that. At least he actually did it, Right? Instead of going, oh, brother, I hate to hear that. I'll pray for you. He actually said, let's take care of that right now. And praying is not wishful thinking. It's not going, I hope things change. It's going, no, I know in the scripture that God has said he is faithful. And this is me acknowledging and affirming what God has already said that he would do. And me going, okay, God, I'm going to side with you. And I'm going to pray your will according to what you have shown me from your heart in your scripture. Now, that doesn't mean I can manipulate a response and I can manipulate a time frame and I can make things happen the way I want to. If I pray it loud enough or use enough of the king's English, then all of a sudden, God, here's my prayer super quick. That's like the express lane to prayers. You know, if you use the king's English, Oh, Lord, I come unto thou today, and I asketh thee to move on mine behalf and those who are in mine household. And we think if we talk that way, that God just puts us in the express lane. Oh, well, y'all answer your prayer. Shoot, that's impressive. What does that even mean, anyways? If, 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 you're, if, if you're praying impressive prayers, it was one of the oddest experiences of my life when I first moved here, and we did the uh, Good Friday community service, and I got asked to close the service in prayer. We were down at the Pentecostal Church in Falls, because that's who hosted it that year. And when I got up to pray, I just prayed whatever God was, you know, felt like I just wanted to say to God in, in that moment, and prayed blessings on the other churches, and thought they would have a great uh, Easter and blah, 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 and, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. And I had three different people come to me at the end of that service and said, wow, that was a great prayer. I didn't know that, I, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, high five, I guess. <laughs> Thanks. What do you say to that? You know, I'm just talking to God. It's like, hey, way to talk to God. Good job. You know, and it felt really awkward because I wasn't, I'd never had that kind of a compliment before. And someone came up to me and they said, where did you learn that prayer? I'm like, <laughs> like five seconds ago, you know, 
But we have this idea that if we pray prayers that are impressive or we pray prayers that people go, ooh, wow, that person knows God, that they all of a sudden can touch a part of God's heart that you can't. And people say, oh, I need my pastor to pray for me in order to touch the heart of God because my relationship is somewhat insignificant and I know that he can get the job done for me because he's got like, you know, the bat phone to God. And that's not how it works, folks. You have just as much access to God as your pastor. Oh, sugar. I said, you have just as much access to God as your pastor. I don't have some special, there's not some special exclusion in the scripture where I have the express line. Now, does that mean that I'm trying to get out of praying for you? Absolutely not. I want to pray for you because I love you, because I care about you, because I want to see God's will accomplished in your life. I want to see you do well, but not because I have some type of direct line, express line connection that you don't have. We are all believers. We are all Christians. Amen? And we can all talk to God. And it comes through this personal relationship. Because prayer is so much more than just us trying to ask God to do something for us. Actually, there's a few different ways we can define prayer according to Scripture. And one of those is praise to who God is. We can actually talk to Him for who He is and engage Him in that and, and thank Him just for who He is, not even for what He's done. But then we can, we can transition into thanksgiving for what He's done and thank God for, for who He is and what He's done. And also for confession of sin or weakness, acknowledging, Lord, I need you. I need to put my dependence on you. I have weaknesses, Lord. I, I need those areas to be made strong, Lord. I have these areas of struggle. And Lord, I, I give these things to you. I, I acknowledge those things. And then we pray prayers of petition where we do actually ask God to do things for us. And we pray according to the scriptures. And we want to see God move on our behalf and not just be wishful thinkers. And then intercession or standing in the gap for someone else. That's another way that we pray where we're not really asking as much for ourselves, but we're asking God to do something for someone else and we're interceding on their behalf. I don't know how many testimonies and stories I've heard of people coming to Christ who were living lives completely opposite of evidence of Christ living on the inside of their heart, but because some praying grandma or grandpa or family member was standing in the gap for them, they have a great testimony about how they came to God and how that person never gave up on them, that person never stopped praying for them. That's intercession. That's praying for someone else's need on their behalf, standing in the gap for that person. And these are ways that prayer can be defined, and through prayer we talk to God on a personal level on these things. This isn't like God is so far off. I know often we look up when we reference God, but God doesn't have to be looked up at in order to be acknowledged. God wants to be right here, face to face. He said, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Amen? That's what he said. So he wants us to pray because prayer puts our belief into action. It's actually us saying or speaking what we believe and actually seeing those things manifest and seeing those things happen in our lives. When we pray, we should expect God to move on our behalf when we pray according to his word. We should settle that, God, I'm going to trust that you know better than me. I trust that you have all of my needs taken care of. I'm going to trust in you, God, and I'm going to speak that trust out of my mouth because my words have power. When I speak those things, it actually changes something in my heart because I've learned in our Trek class that Pastor Andy's been teaching us as pastors that did you know that your subconscious does not respond to your thoughts? It only responds to your voice. Did you know that you could think happy thoughts all day long, but you're really going to show what you believe by what comes out of your mouth? I think Jesus said something like that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the 
mouth speaks. So what you really believe is going to come out of your mouth. And you're going to speak those things because you really believe them. So to reprogram your beliefs, you can't just think yourself out of that negative situation. You've got to speak those things. There is power in us speaking the Word of God because the Word of God is true. Not because we're speaking in order to make something happen, but we're speaking in order to affirm what we believe. That we speak the truth. No, I know that this is what my mind is thinking, but this, what is the truth? Am I going to speak the truth? Because I'm going to speak what I believe. We need to replace the negative junk that would try to drag us down with the truth. What does God say about me? Not what do others say about me. Not what does my boss think about me. Not what does my spouse think about me. Not what do my kids think about me. Because if I try to grade myself based on what everyone else thinks, then I'm going to be serving everyone else's opinion. Hello, somebody. If I want to live a life that pleases God, then I've got to understand what God thinks about me. And if I don't believe those things, then I need to start speaking those things to get it past my mind and get it into my heart. Say, God, I want the truth about me to come out of my mouth. Not, man, I'm so stupid. Man, I can't ever do anything right. Man, oh, golly, I'm such a loser. Oh, Man, I'm never going to amount to anything. We just, we just regurgitate the things that we've heard and the things that we've believed. So we need to change our belief by saying, okay, not just speaking positive things, because it's not just positive things that we need to reprogram our mind with, but it's the Word of God. The Bible says that we need to renew our mind in Romans 12. Amen? And we do that with the Word of God. So when you're praying, you're speaking what? You're speaking the Word of God when you pray according to Scripture. And what are you doing? You're hearing that, and you're beginning to put your belief into practice, into action. Then it becomes more than just something you're thinking or a good idea that you had or something you're trying to make happen because prayer puts our dependency on God. That's really what prayer does. It puts our dependency on God. Let's go to James chapter 4. And I actually want to read this in the NIV, and I thought it would be really good because I like the way that it words it. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have. So in order that you have, what's he said? You kill. And then you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. And you don't have because you don't ask God. But even when you ask, you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motives that you can spend what you get on your pleasures. He said, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy with God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? That's key, verse 5. But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And then he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I think that this is a great passage on explaining the heart behind the purpose of prayer. Because James said, we try to make things happen in our own power. He said, you want something, I'll just kill for it. You want something because you covet it, 
and you can't have it, so you get angry, so you try to go after it in your own heart. Or, he said, you try to ask for it, but when you ask for it, you're asking with the wrong motive. So really, it's just exposing the wickedness and covetousness of the motive behind what you're asking, and it's really exposing what you're truly after. He said, so here's the thing. You're trying to make these things happen in your own power and in your own strength. In other words... He's saying that we're saying we don't need God. We're pretty much good on our own up until a certain point, And then we've got to go, hey, God, could you help, help, help a brother out over here? I need some help. Could you make something happen for me over here? Because I've only gotten so far in this thing. No, he said, listen, for you to actually see God move in your life and do the things that God desires to do in and through you, you're going to have to humble yourself. He said, you're actually going to have to repent and humble yourself under the hand of God and trust in Him because in due season, He'll exalt you. In due season, you're going to see what happens in your life that God desires to happen in your life. It's your job to grow in trusting in Him. It's your job to put your heart in that place that trusts God and say, Lord, humble me. Help me to see. Help me to, to, to grieve and mourn and well over, over my selfishness, over the things that I need to repent of because I want my heart to be in the right place because God uses prayer to work within us a heart that trusts him. God uses prayer to work within us a heart that's motives become purified through knowing his heart. And also God uses prayer to develop in us a heart that is humble because what is a heart that is humble going to do? It's going to bring glory to God. A humble heart is going to bring glory to God. That's why God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And here God uses prayer because prayer is us confessing our dependence on God. See, if we don't pray, or if we don't go to the Lord in prayer, then we're full of pride because we think we've got all this figured out. We think we've got enough church in us, we've got enough scripture knowledge, we've got enough experience as a Christian, you know, I've got my frequent flyer miles as a Christian, and so because I've got that experience and I've got that all tanked up, I'm good, and I don't really need to pray. I mean, who needs prayer anyways? Why do I need to pray? Why do I need to ask God for anything? I figured that if God wanted to do something, he'd just do it because he's God, and that's true, but there are certain circumstances and situations we see all throughout scripture where God, in his sovereignty, has chosen to limit himself to the prayers of his people before he moves. Because there are certain places where God says, I could do this, but if my people, who are called by my name, if my people will humble themselves and pray, right? God gives certain circumstances where he says, if you do this, then I will do this. I've chosen to limit myself to your response because I want to develop in you a heart that trusts me, a heart that will be humble before me, and a heart that will glorify me. That's why God just doesn't do whatever he wants to do, and he chooses to give us the opportunity to pray because he wants us to realize our dependence upon him. If, if, if this Christian life was nothing more than us just floating through and letting God do just whatever he wanted all of the time and we never petitioned him and we never trusted him and we never asked him anything, how would our lives ever glorify him? We would just be floating through with no purpose. We would just be coasting through life. And whatever happens, I guess it's just going to happen. No need for me to try to intercede. No need for me to try to trust. No need for me to try to grow in knowing God. I guess I'll just die and go to heaven one day. And if that's the purpose, then we're missing the purpose because that's a life without purpose. That's a life that's very much lazy and disengaged from relationship. 
You see, God uses prayer to develop in us a dependency and trust in Him. And He actually uses the weaknesses in our lives to be manifested, to manifest His glory through. He actually uses the things in our lives that when we admit those weaknesses, when we admit those things that we can't do these things and we need Him, and when we put our hope and our trust, and He shows up big time, not in the areas where necessarily we feel strong, but in those weak areas, in the things that his power can be manifested. You remember the story of the man with the withered hand. He had a hand that, that couldn't be used. His hand was all withered up. And the Bible says that this man came to the temple one day where Jesus was preaching. And right in the middle of Jesus' sermon, he calls this man out and says, Hey, you, stand up and stretch forth your hand. Now, if it were you and I being called out in front of a group of people and we were asked to stretch out our hand, and it was a hand that was obviously deformed and was weak, I don't know that we would stretch forth that hand or not because we have two options here. And you've got a strong hand and then you've got a hand that's all withered up. Jesus didn't say stretch forth your withered hand. He said stretch forth your hand. He told the man stretch forth your hand. Now, I remember growing up uh, in a church where there was a guy who only had one hand in our church and, and, and he had a, a, a fake uh, arm and, and hand from an accident that he had had and he used to always walk around like this with that fake hand. He used to always hide. He had had it for years and years and years but still he conditioned himself to hide that thing because normally when you have those types of weaknesses or you have those types of, of, of injuries, people don't go around you know, displaying those things especially if they're self-conscious about those things. And this man was very ashamed, very self-conscious about the fact that he only had one arm. So he used to walk around like this. Hey, how you doing? Hey, he'd always offer the hand that just looked like everyone else's hand. And here's Jesus. And Jesus says, stand up. Stretch forth your hand. <sighs> Got an option here. And the man stretched forth his withered hand. And what did Jesus do? He healed it made it whole. You see, Jesus' power was shown to people for the purpose of his glory and for that man's benefit, through his weakness, not through his strength. What if the man would have said, here's my hand. That's not the one I'm talking about. <laughs> the man knew what Jesus was wanting to do because the man knew that Jesus' power could be manifested through his weakness. So when we pray, when we talk to God, it's putting our belief into action, it's putting our dependence on God into action by us stretching forth our weaknesses and being honest and transparent with God. Because whether you're honest or transparent with God or not, He knows. You can't fool God. You can't hide from God. You can't hide your weaknesses. Much like the man with the withered hand may have always hidden that withered hand in the cloak when he would go and shake someone's hand or be introduced to a new person. He wouldn't offer that weak, weak hand. Because his weak hand, he thought everyone would judge him and everyone would criticize him. But God knew it was there and God said, stretch it forth, big boy, because watch what I can do through your weakness. When we go to God, we go to God in humility, not in dependence on ourselves, where we say, hey, God, talk to you today. Guess what I did today? I'm pretty awesome. I uh, got everything figured out financially. Good. Don't need you there. Uh, marriage, great. Everybody wants a marriage like mine. Kids, love them. Everything's going wonderful. Um, we're all feeling pretty good and healthy. We don't really need you there either. Uh, so just checking in with you. Hope things are going good upstairs, you know. Uh, we'll talk later. Bye. We don't have those conversations with God because we understand that God is not interested in areas of our lives that may be put together. That God is not interested in what we can do in our performance as much as God is saying, hey, I'm wanting you to recognize your dependence on me. 
That's why we say here at Word of Grace, and we say it often, you never get to a point in your Christianity where you stop needing Jesus. Never, ever, ever. Even if you're Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists that's lived in our time, never stops needing Jesus. I don't care who it is that you follow after, that that, that you read after, or, or what big minister that impresses you. They still need Jesus. I still need Jesus. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus, and we never stop needing Him. So that means that my dependence on Him should not shrink. It should actually grow the more I get to know Him. Amen? So the more my prayer life becomes a reflection of my acknowledgement of my dependence upon Him and my in the work that is done really in my heart of humility that keeps me growing closer and closer and closer to him. When we say, I want to draw closer to you, Jesus, normally that sounds real warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? I want to draw closer to you, Jesus. Closer. And that's not what we're saying when we say we want to draw closer to Jesus. We're actually saying we want to draw closer in dependence upon you. It's like, I realize I need you. Oh, I really realize I need you. I really realize I need you. And that grows and grows and grows. And that's what prayer does. It's that acknowledgement of us growing in our dependence upon Jesus. God uses prayer to reveal his heart for others through us. And that produces his character in our lives for his glory. This is what he does. He uses prayer to reveal his heart for others through you and through me. Because when we pray, it's showing us the heart of God. It's showing us how He cares for not only you, but for others as well. And it gets the focus off of us, and it helps us to see His heart the more that we get to know Him. Because at the end of the day, you know who God is for? God is for God. And God is all about God. And you want to know why He's for Himself? Because He is the only one who deserves the glory. And when we realize we're created for His glory, it takes the focus off of it being all about us and puts it onto Him and puts our dependence upon Him and stirs worship in our heart. That's how God chooses to use this method of prayer as a way to build trust in us towards Him for His glory. Because you know what He does? He proves Himself faithful, doesn't He? He proves Himself faithful and worthy of our trust. And it's all for His glory. It's for our benefit. Sure, we benefit from it. But ultimately, it's for His glory. Amen? It's for His glory. He is out for His glory, and you and I are instruments for His glory to show the name of Jesus, to show the goodness and the fullness of the richness of the mercy and the grace of God, to show forth the love of God to the world. And you and I, we get to benefit from that relationship, but the purpose is always for His glory. And we believe that when we pray, that it's not just some meaningless activity, that it's not just something Christians do to keep busy but yet it actually changes things. Amen? We believe that prayer changes things. We believe that when we ask Him, that we can receive when we pray based on His Word, when we have faith and trust in His Word, when we believe that we receive when we pray, when we know that we're praying what He wants us to pray. And I want you to know that a lot of people, they they feel like, well, I, I think that if God just wanted to do it, He would just do it, so why pray, why bother? Or people think, well, I've tried prayer before and I was disappointed because I didn't get the answer that I wanted. Folks, we're, it's not our job to try to order God around as if he were ours to command and order to do what we wanted him to do. 
It's that God has set forth his faithfulness in his word to show us his heart and show us who he is. And he has given us the privilege and the opportunity to be able to trust him according to his word and that that would cause us to be able to rest in wherever the manifestation of that prayer falls in our life or how he chooses to bring about that manifestation. If we know we're praying according to his word, we can rest and trust and know that he is faithful. A lot of times we want to try to use prayer to control and manipulate situations because we're really trying to control and manipulate God and tell him what to do and how to do it. And that's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is for us to build that trust in that relationship, for us to build that character that he wants to build in us, for us to learn to trust him. When we see the things happen that we would like to see, the way we would like to see them, man, aren't those times great when you pray for something and we have these great stories and testimonies of immediate turnarounds and things, but what about when you pray? And you don't see the thing happen the way you wanted it to happen. Does that mean that God is unfaithful? No, absolutely not. Because we know God is faithful to his word. Some things we experience and we manif- and manifest here on earth. Some of those things manifest on the other side of heaven. And we see those that God is still faithful to his word, regardless of when we may experience that answer, when we may see that thing happen. Or if we're praying and we're asking God for things, we need to check our heart and make sure our heart is in the right place. Because just because we pray is not enough. We need to understand that there are things that the Bible is clear about that will actually hinder our prayers. So before you get frustrated with God or before you dismiss prayer altogether, ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there are things in your heart that are hindering your prayers. And the Bible says very specifically that there are things that hinder your prayers. Here are some of those things. Number one, motive. We just read that in James chapter 4. He said, you ask, but you ask with the wrong motive. He said, God knows really the reason behind why you're asking what you're asking. He really knows what you're trying to get at. Oh, God, please remove my boss. Please help them to find another home, God. Please help them to just, Lord, I pray blessings upon them in another location. That's a selfish motive. Or if we're praying, Lord, I pray they get what's coming to them. Ooh, Lord Jesus, I pray you open the eyes to the errors of their ways. And I don't care how you have to do it either, Jesus. Do it. We pray selfish prayers. So motive is key. So check your heart when you pray. Check your motive. Am I really asking this because I'm trying to manipulate a response and get God to do something that I want him to do? And it's really a selfish motive. Your relationship with Christ is huge. And that can be a hindrance in your prayer if you don't have one. You need to have a relationship with Christ. You need to know him. You need to know who he is. You need to know the heart of the Father. The best way to get to know the heart of the Father is spend time with him. Talk to him. Spend time in his word. He shows us from cover to cover his heart. And we can get to know him and know his desire so we know how to pray. So we can know how to pray, even with the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, let me show you how to pray. When, when you go to prayer, the, the, these are the things that you need to focus on. These are the things that are important when you talk to God. We go to Him with praise. We go to Him with thanks. And, and we go to Him with petition. We go to Him with repentance. We go to Him uh, with, with confession. We, we say, Lord, uh, forgive us of our trespasses uh, because we, we, we want to forgive those who have done us wrong because we understand that those things are, are connected and we don't want those things to harbor in our hearts. So, Lord, forgive us. We, we, we release those people who have trespassed against us. And we see the importance that there are those things that will hold back those prayers. And one of those things is unforgiveness. And one of the things is marital discord. We see the Apostle Paul talk about that. And then we need to pray according to God's will. We need to pray according to the Scripture. 
And if you can't find what you're praying for in Scripture, ask God, Lord, is this your will? Is this something that I need to be diligent about praying and trusting you in? Is this your will? And God will give you that peace that will lead and guide, that will let you know that I want you to pray this way. This is how I want you to stand. Just as an example, I remember when my daughter Abigail was uh, born. She's one of my twin girls. And when she was born, just a few days after she was born, she had to be metaflighted to Children's Hospital in Little Rock. And she died seven times on the helicopter ride. Her heart quit beating. She quit breathing altogether. And they had to bring her back seven different times on the helicopter ride. And when we got to Children's Hospital, we lived there for uh, about two months in the hospital with Abigail, with the different procedures and different things that they had to do with her. And they said that your daughter is never going to walk, talk, look you in the eye, none of those things. There was something that rose up within me, and I believe that it was just a, just a word from God that I was just supposed to trust and believe that God was going to take care of her and that, he was gonna, that all was going to be well. And they were saying, you know, basically she's going to be a vegetable the rest of her life. You know, you're going to have to do all these things and work all these things with her. And, and there was something in me that it wasn't just a hope. It wasn't just me hoping things worked out. There was a confidence that came from God. And I said, Lord, I'm just going to trust you because that's where we're going to stand. And as the leader of my home, that's what I told all of our friends and family. We're, we're going to just stand in faith together because I really believe God said that she, she's going to be healed. Now, when that manifests, I don't know. How it manifests, I don't know. That wasn't my job. And what ended up happening with Abigail was three years passed. And I remember that, that, that about, about two years, let me back up, about two years, she still wasn't walking. Her sister was already walking, but Abigail was scooting around. We called her Scooter all the time. And you could tell which clothes were Abigail's because all of the bottoms of all of her clothes were all ruined because she would scoot around. And we were like, is she ever going to walk? I had my buddy who was a specialist in, 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 in uh, physical therapy for children try to work with her personally one-on-one. And no die. She would not crawl. He said, she's got to crawl before she walks. She's got to crawl before she walks. That's what everyone kept telling us. And she wouldn't crawl. And we're like, is, is what the doctor said true? But I was like, no, I just know this is what God wants me to pray. This is what God wants me to stand in faith and believe. And I remember one night I was preaching on a Wednesday night in Texas. I was preaching on a, Wednesday, on a Wednesday night, and my wife was taking care of the nursery that night, and she brings all three of my children out after the end of the service, and, and we're maybe 60 seconds at the end of service, and my daughter was scooting around like normal on the ground at the church, just scooting around, and all of a sudden she just looked around and just stood right up and started walking. Now, what kid goes from scooting on the ground to walking? And there was none of this, you know how kids do this thing where they hold on the table? <laughs> there was none of that. There was none of that. She was scooting around, and she looked around, and she just goes, boom, and she walks up, takes about six or seven steps, sits back down, gets back up, and she's walking, like out of nowhere. And then we go to the doctor a year later, so she's three years old at this time for her MRI, and the doctor said that her brain has reshaped and reformed around all of the damage that was done from her sickness. And there was one little spot he was concerned about, and he said, this is just going to calcimate, and it's going to go away and dry up. He said, this is really amazing to see. And I'm going, I knew this is, and, 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 and you know, most people would say, well, all right, well, let's high five. The doctor said it was good. No, I had that peace in my heart three years ago when God put that in my heart. Now, I would have liked to have seen the instantaneous results right then and there, buddy. I would have liked for my daughter to have walked like everybody else at the same time everybody else did. And my kids were, you know, my, my other two were up and walking. And I had one that I didn't know if she was ever going to walk, but I knew. 
And so I prayed that way, and I prayed according to the will of God. I knew she was healed. I didn't know if that was going to manifest at 3 years old, 30 years old, 60 years old, or the day before she passed, or if it was going to completely manifest in glory. I don't know. I'm not trying to control the situation. Us as parents, we would like to control the situation. We would like to see those things happen in our kids' life. But I just knew there was a peace that passed my understanding. And if today she's 7 years old, and, and, and if she still wasn't walking today, I'd still be telling you the same thing that God told me. And I would still be praying the same prayer because I'm standing in faith, believing and trusting in God. And that's what we need to do. We need to pray according to the will of God. Lord, I'm praying your will. I believe this is from you. I believe this is what you want. I see in Scripture. And so, God, I'm just going to trust in you in this situation, regardless of when it works out. I mean, it's a great story that it all happened when it did, and it was great. But even if it didn't, I'm confident that I would be able to say, sure, I would have went through some ups and downs. Even I did in that period of three years with questions and not knowing and all those things like that. But I know that God is faithful. Amen? Amen. So when my son got in a bicycle wreck a few months ago, I was like, yeah, God's got this. We've been through this with the others. Just need my kids to stay out of the hospital. And we can trust God for those things. He wants us to pray. Amen? Because he's going to prove himself faithful. He is worthy to be trusted. Prayer is a privilege. Prayer is an opportunity. Prayer is a responsibility of every believer. It is a privilege that we have a God that allows us to talk to him and ask him to do things according to his will. It's an opportunity that we have to pray. Paul says, I pray without ceasing. I'm always in that communion and fellowship with God. It's not literally Paul's always praying. And everybody's like, hey, Paul, praying. It's that Paul was always in that state of heart and mind of communion with God, always talking to him. Not just always going to him with requests, but also quieting himself down and listening. Because, you know, listening is a part of prayer. I learned that at the Abbey in De Pere. I was so busy praying and asking God for things that when I was in a situation where I wasn't supposed to talk and I had to shut up and sit down and be quiet and go, okay, God, what are you saying? I'm going, it took me a day and a half just to be quiet and settle down. And you can imagine, I mean, my goodness, I talk for a living both up here and everywhere else. I'm good at it all the time. Ask anybody who works for me. But let me tell you something. It's not just about us talking to God. It's about us being quiet and listening. Amen? God, what are you saying to me? Let, me? let me just quiet down. Carve out that space, okay? I can't tell you how important it is. I know everybody's got their New Year's resolutions. Everybody's got their things. Everybody wants to lose weight, get in shape, you know, whatever you want to do. Those things are important. I think it's great. I'm for all that stuff. But number one, first and foremost, prioritize prayer this year. Amen? Amen. Word of Grace is going to prioritize prayer this year. That's why we're rolling out the initiatives we're rolling out. That's why we're doing some of the things we're going to do. And, and it's not just going to stop after these first few weeks of prayer initiatives here at Word of Grace. We're going to keep talking about prayer, keep giving opportunities for us to assemble here. Carve out that space for yourself, too, at your home. Find a quiet room. I know some of you are like, have you been to my house? <laughs> and if you don't have a room there, come up here. We open up the church during regular office hours and make it available for you to come up here and use the Oasis room. You can schedule that out and just go in that room. That's what it's for. So you can just go be alone with God on your lunch break or, or, or in the afternoon or early in the morning. We want you to use that. Please take advantage of that if you don't have a quiet space where you can carve out some time. And make it a part of your routine. Prioritize it. Prioritize it more than anything else. And don't, just, uh, don't, don't take that lightly. 
If it's in the car on your commute to work or maybe in the break room or if there's somewhere you can go quiet and just you know, uh, sit somewhere and just talk to God, listen to God, carve that time out to regularly pray because it is a privilege. It is an opportunity, but it's also a responsibility. Here's some things that we're called to pray for. We're called to pray for one another. We're called to pray for our enemies. We're called to pray for those in authority, whether we like those in authority or not. Amen? Whether we like our boss or not. Whether we like government officials or not, we're called to pray for them. The Bible says we're also called to pray for the sick. We're called to pray for those who are away from God, maybe those who were close to God at one time and very fervent and passionate in their relationship with God, but who have fallen away. We're called to pray for those people, stand in the gap for them. And then lastly, the church. And, and then this is just a list of some things that I wanted to share with you and give you some scriptures for so you could actually pray those scriptures so you know that you're praying according to the will of God because we can see God's will all throughout scripture. Amen? And so if we see those scriptures, we can stand on those things and pray those things and speak those things and ask God to do those things. And the prayers for the church are actually the prayers that Paul prayed for those specific churches. And it'll give you an idea of how to pray for word of grace as well as how to pray for other churches in our community and the church, the body of Christ globally. We need to stand in the gap and pray for the church because the church, man, I could go off on a whole sermon about how the church is under attack in our day and age. And the church really needs some folks to stand in the gap and pray. Amen? Amen. Do you have quiet time with God every day? Do you have that quiet time where you can just be alone, just you and Him? If not, make that your number one priority today. I would also encourage you to make a prayer journal where you write some of the things you're praying and you're wanting to see God do. Write those things down and revisit those things. There's a story in the Bible in the book of Joshua in the first few chapters where Joshua had led the children of Israel all the way up to the Jordan River and right across the Jordan River they were going to enter into the promised land that God had for them. But you've got almost a million people that you're wanting to go across this river. Man, that was going to be a big task. So God says, send the priests out there with the Ark of the Covenant. So you've got four priests and they're carrying this big box and they're walking with the Ark of the Covenant and they, as soon as the priests feet stepped in the water. The Bible says that the water all rolled up to one side and the entire nation, they all walked across on dry ground. And as the priests were still standing there holding the Ark of the Covenant, Joshua said, now I want a representative from each one of the 12 tribes of Israel to go down into where the water was and each one of them grab a stone. And that stone, I want you to pull up out of the bed and I want you to go put it on the banks of the Jordan River. He said, so that way, when they see these 12 stones arranged here, and people come by and say, what were those? Grandma, what what are those stones there? Grandpa, what are those stones there? You'll be able to say, let me tell you a story about God's faithfulness. Let me tell you what God did and how he led us into the promised land. They were set up as a memorial to stir worship in our heart and to build trust and faith in God. So as you write down your prayers and as God answers those things, set those things up as a memorial so you can say, I know God has been faithful. I know God has been good because I asked him to do this and he answered. It may not have come the way or when I wanted, but I can see his faithful through and through and it stirs worship in my heart. And we as a church family are making prayer a priority at Word of Grace because everything we knew, everything we do, needs to be covered in prayer as a church family. And we as individuals continually need to lift things up before the Lord in prayer. I'm going to be talking to you in the next few weeks about some specific goals and details that God has put on my heart as a pastor for us to go after this year. And those things, if they could happen in human effort, then there'd be no need for prayer. But guess what? They can't. (laughs) 
They can't happen just because we're all awesome, because we're not. <laughs> I know you're like, speak for yourself, Pastor. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. <laughs> Listen, it's not contingent upon how special you are, how gifted or skilled or talented you are. It's going to have to be God. Because we need to bring these things before him and say, God, this is what you've shown our pastor as direction for 2015. This is where we're going as a church family. God, help us to rally around these things. Help us to link arms and hearts and, and step forward and, and make these things happen and do our part. And, and, and let's pray that God would, would bless our church, that God would take care of us, and that God would bring the people here that need to be here, that he's calling here, drawing here, so we can spread the gospel, so we can be building relationships and building disciples, people who are growing in relationship with God, so people can be set free from addictions and chains and stuff that they're dragging around that God has already made them free from so that the sick can be healed so that those who have been far away from God can come back to repentance so we see God do in the hearts and lives of people what only he can do and he wants to do those things but he wants his people to pray he wants us to pray he wants our church to be blessed he wants our church to to, to be financially prosperous but we need to pray Instead of just trying to always just come up with a way we can make this happen or that happen. God, you give us divine strategies. You make things happen that we can't even do. So when we step back, we go, that had to be God. Because he loves that. You know God loves to be able to step back and go, yeah, you had nothing to do with that. And for us to go, I I had nothing to do with that. That was all you, God. He loves to do that. He loves to do what blows doctors' minds, what blows people's minds. He loves to take five loaves of bread and two fish, and you just go, how in the world did all these people get fed? He loves doing stuff like that, to where you go, he is taking care of us, however he sees fit. Whatever he wants to do, we just need to humble ourselves instead of us trying to make it about us and us trying to figure all these goals out and let's do this and let's do that. Yeah, there'll be some planning, some strategy, but we want this thing to be divinely inspired. So I would ask you as a church, let's pray for a word of grace in 2015. Let's pray for us as a church family. Let's pray for one another's needs. Let's lift one another up. Let's hold up one another's hands when we get weary. Let's have that type of relationship. Let's have that type of a church family atmosphere where we don't just pat someone on the back and say, I'll pray for you. But we stop and we go, let's pray right now. I'd love to see people at the end of service. If someone shares a need with you, I'd love to see a little pocket of prayer here and there and here and there just scattered all throughout the building because people care about one another. They care about one another to stop and take a minute to cry out to God with that person on behalf. Not asking anything fancy or looking for certain verbiage, but just saying, God, I know you love this person. I pray you do exactly what needs to be done. I love them. I care about them. That's the kind of relationships I want us to have at Word of Grace in 2015. That's the direction we're going in. It has to be bathed and directed in prayer. It has to be. It's not about us. It's about him. Would you bow your head this morning? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.org.